We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Oklahoma City Thunder select Chet Holmgren from Gonzaga University. What a pass. Giddy underneath for JRE. The reverse and the rookie-to-rookie action. SGA defended closely by Westbrook. Tough. Step back. Gets up the shot. Banks This is Udart. You're listening to the Uncontested. What is up and welcome to the Uncontested Podcast, coming to you live Wednesday, July 27th. We're brought to you by the Blue Wire Podcast Network and DailyThunder.com. I'm your host for the evening, Jacob Niffin. We've got almost a full crew with me tonight. We've got Taylor, Kamiar, and Nick all with us. And special guest joining us tonight, a man who has gone to bat for the OKC Thunder recently. I think a lot of Thunder fans, very appreciative. You can catch his work at Bleacher Report and on the Hardwood Knox podcast. We have Dan Favale with us. Dan, how's it going, man? I am doing spectacular, especially after that intro. Thank you guys so much for having me. Thank you for joining us. We are super, super stoked to have you here. I think we got to start with the hard-hitting stuff first, Dan. The Thunder have just signed. I even forgot the guy's name, the poor guy. Um, some <laughs> Chip big England. Man- no, no, no. I'm talking about the guy in the Exhibit 10 Oh, deal, oh. Who used to play with Kentucky. Does this mean the Thunder can finally move off Shea Gilgis-Alexander and sell high? <laughs> oh, man. Yeah, I've, he should have been moved like six times already. He, he doesn't fit their timeline at the uh, very old age of 24. Uh, just turned sentiment, 24 as well. Yeah, that sentiment is just... And especially after his exit interview, where not, not only did he say that he wanted to be there, but he's having conversations with management and Sam Presti. You don't see players, you know, Julius Randall's not getting that treatment in New York at the moment. And so for them to come out and say like, yeah, we're having conversations. He knows where we're at. Do I think he'll never get traded? Like, no, obviously no one's untouchable, but just this idea that we need to look at him with five years left on his deal and say that he's the next guy that's going to want out because the thunder aren't good enough yet when he's still so young. And to me just represents their entire timeline. I, I don't know where, that started like that's not even like we're always trying to spot the next disgruntled star but the whole this 24 year old doesn't fit the timeline is never even like a logic that i've heard before so i guess it's just 
look, it's OKC's fault. They waved Isaiah Roby. They just let him go. And that was clearly a harbinger that they have no idea what they're doing. I'm just surprised people know about Shea, considering the amount of time that OKC doesn't get on the airwaves. <laughs> he's too, like, first of all, he's he's like the most stylish player in the NBA. And that, that certainly helps. First and team all drip. Like, right. And I am not that I appreciate, I understand the thirst coming out of like Raptors fans in Canada. Like I totally get that, but just like, no, like the Orlando magic are not going to trade for Shea Gilgis Alexander. The thunder are probably closer to making noise in the league at this point than, than Orlando is even with Paolo Bancaro there. So I get a kick out of it, but I could understand for fans, especially when they already seem to have like a distrust and distaste for the NBA national media. I totally get being fed up with that just type of narrative that's being, by all like appearances force fed. There's just like for no one knows what the Thunder are doing anyway. Like least of all these people who aren't even around the Thunder. So that's the other thing of all that. I love it. My my favorite thing from this summer was people simultaneously saying the Thunder need to trade Shea Gilgis Alexander. They just want to tank. He doesn't fit the timeline. And then their next tweet, the Thunder should give up all their assets to go get Kevin Durant. And I'm just like, <laughs> what the hell are we doing, man? Like what are we doing here? Can't do both. It's incredible. Uh, uh, well, some Thunder news today. OKC has hired, I, I hope I'm going to pronounce this guy's name right. Is it just Chip England? Is there it an is, extra syllable in two there? Two L's, which is I don't know if there's weird. an extra syllable in there or not. Um, but <laughs> 17 years, 18 years with the San Antonio Spurs, known as the shot doctor. Dan, I don't know how much uh, knowledge you have of this assistant, but just how big of a hire is this for OKC? Getting a guy who is known league-wide as somebody who can really help improve the the jump shot, the three-point shot of young guys, most notably Kawhi Leonard early in his career. I think it's huge. I mean, him and uh, Fred Vincent in New Orleans, like those are the guys known around the league as like the shot doctors or like these miracle workers and – uh, I think what Anglin doesn't get enough credit for is like, he really, it wasn't just, yeah, Kawhi Leonard. He was a complete non-shooter coming in the league. Like he really helped develop the mid-range games for Tony Parker, Manu Ginobili, even DeJounte Murray. Uh, and so like you get someone like him on the Thunder where there's just, there's so many guys on this roster where it's like, hey, if they just hit their jumpers a little bit more often, they would be like ridiculously good to now just add someone like that to the staff. To me, it's almost like the equivalent of actually getting a big-time free agency acquisition relative to the activity we've seen this summer. So I think it's a – I don't know that you could actually go wrong with this hire. He could have gone to any team. But the Thunder specifically, when there are so many – I want to say blank slates, but just like if it's a if it's a Josh Giddy from three or a, does a Lou Dort all of a sudden like have more of a, a pull-up game to him or is it just Usman Jang? Like all these different guys that are there, they're so young. To bring in someone like Chip I think is just – a super smart move. And I was shocked floored really that he left the Spurs at a time when they seemed to be transitioning into an era in which they probably could have used him more than ever. It's a jump shooting league too. It's like the perfect time to have a guy like that. I would, yeah. yeah, I would, I thought it was just so interesting because I was like, well, I mean, he, the Spurs are kind of going scorched earth. They're re finally rebuilding instead of living in basketball purgatory for a minute. Um, and then, of course, Presti with the Spurs front office connections. It made sense, especially with the roster. OKC's kind of compiled, and I just kept on wondering, all right, so this guy's going to come in. He's going to make so small tweaks to your shot. Um, he won't likely completely reform a jump shot. 
And realistically, who are the top three guys that this is really aimed at other than just overall improvement of the shooting of the roster in the first place? We talked about a ton that Josh Giddy, his swing skill is shooting and it's not looked good. Like the form is not good. The percentages are not good. Like that's one. If he, if he makes Josh a 33% three point shooter worth the hire, yep. nobody else even getting touched by him, you know? And I liked what Dan said too, about it kind of being a, almost like a free agency signing. I even, I, I tweeted that out halfway joking, <laughs> but there is some truth and validity to it, right? Like this in a way is one, maybe one of the biggest free agency signings for the thunder, just based off the, uh, like you guys have said, the resume uh, that England has and, um, and just what he's been able to do for some of these players. There was a, a really good article on what used to be Grantland. Now it's the ringer, uh, but it's still like under the Grantland web- website by Bill Barnwell, where basically he kind of gave a little rundown of the history of England and how he's impacted players like Tony Parker. Uh, the other one was Kawhi. And then uh, Bellinelli was the other one. He kind of had a, a rough spell there with Chicago and they came and, and in a way revived his career in San Antonio, and he credited uh, England a lot for that. It was uh, some fun stories. Like instead, you know, I, I think um, who was it? Oh, Steve Kerr. He was playing in Portland towards the end of his, of his career, and there was a story about how you know he was just kind of getting like some rotational minutes, not like the normal minutes that he was used to because he was getting older. He's going through a shooting slump, so England comes out, and instead of just like having him put up like two hundred shots to find his groove again. He literally had him, it was a 30 minute drill. They only took seven shots in between shots. He would have her like read a newspaper or like would start talking to him about his kids or something. Then now all, all of a sudden now Noah would blow the whistle and Kerr would have to go and hit a shot right off the bench because that's what his role was for the team. Just some fun stories like that. And and so I, I also like how you brought up Dan about like, um, you know, Tony Parker in the mid range, helping not just the three point shooting, but the, the other shooting as well for some of these guys, because I think that's huge in regards to Shea and Giddy, who both really have really nice floaters. So I'm curious to see how not just their three-point shooting improves, but their shooting, you know, uh, as a whole. Dan, if you had to choose three guys off this current Thunder roster who, if England can come in and tweak their, their shot form, bump them up a few percentage points from three, who would be the three guys that you think would benefit the most? I think Giddy for one, and not even just from three. I mean, Taylor mentioned it, uh, the mid-range stuff, and he already like his mid-range percentages were fine last year for for a rookie. And so, and as someone who I feel like he bails out early on a lot of his drives sometimes, like if he has a stop and pop game, that that just ends up being huge for him and the team in general. I think after that, because I view shooting as like this, it's not just a swing skill; it's like a preeminent swing skill for Usman Jang, who I was really, I thought the Knicks. I don't think they did anything detrimental on draft. And I want to make that clear in case anyone's stumbling into this, but I really wanted them to take him because I'm so high on him. Just like looking at the way he processes the game, what he can do on defense. But if he just like can have a consistent three point shot, we're talking about a really, really, really good player. And so I'm just throwing him in there. Even if it's over the long term. the last one, like I, I guess I would just go with Lou Dort because he looks like he's more comfortable shooting threes the past couple of years. And he's taken some really ultra deep ones. And if there could get like, I don't want to say more fluidity, but maybe more speed to it. Um, I don't know if England's going to be someone who can impact that, but Dort's already so good in other areas of the game, including as a passer and like even someone who can um, attack an open space or off of pump fakes. I would just be interested to see like, well, what just happens if Lou Dort's just a little bit quicker with the trigger and he's shooting like, 
34, 35%, unlike these quick touch, quick fire threes. We're talking about a player who somehow leveled up after already being super impactful. Yeah. I think the Josh Giddy one is is the big neon sign, obvious one for this hire. I've said on this podcast, and and Dan, you can call me a complete idiot if you'd like. I give you permission. But I've said if if Josh Giddy over the next few years can get to the point where if play if if teams go under on screens for him and he can pull up and punish and basically force teams to play over the top on a screen, it's over. Like he's going to be an all star. If he gets to the point where teams cannot defend him in the pick and roll because if you go under, he'll shoot and he shoots 34, 35%. And if you go over, he's, I mean, shit, I'd already say he's a top 10 pick and roll passer in the league right now as a just turned 20 year old. You're talking about the sky being the limit for this kid. As someone who tends to be lower on Josh Giddy than the consensus, I'd probably still agree with you there. And even like right now you can see, it feels like Giddy is really good at, not using screens that are already going to be set and catching defenses off guard that way and then going downhill. So he's already kind of figured out ways to keep them on tilt despite not being a threat. And so this is like sort of a, the players do not compare at all, but it was, we talked about this with Ja after year one and year two. It's like, if you can make defenses pay for going under you, it opens up the rest of your game and for everybody else. So um, absolutely. If he's going to, he needs to improve either his jumper like from three or can we get like better finishing? And he had some, like, I think it was the Rockets game in summer league, where I was just watching him and like, so this is what it looks like when he's aggressive and finishes through on his drives. So I'm probably a little bit higher on him than I was coming out of last season, but there's just, I feel like there's no question. This is aimed at not only Josh Giddy, but Josh Giddy specifically, even if you don't want him to be super high volume from downtown. I was listening to some other Thunderbeat writers or people who covered the team earlier today. And I think it was Joe Masato of the Oklahoma, which is a local paper here. Oh, I think we lost Taylor. That is a uh, wonderful freeze frame of him. <laughs> it's always the worst. Every you build up the fence, right? Yeah. You're back now, Taylor. Oh, and there's his wife. So we lost Taylor. Nick, or, yeah, Nick, let's let's move on. Um, unless you had anything else. I, I felt like you were about to say something about the team and shooting, or am I wrong? No, no, I, I just think one that's underrated. Um, this guy's already a good shooter, but I think that Chet Holmgren like being more crafty and and putting himself in positions to hit some more unique mid-range shots, not just like a catch-and-shoot three. Um, underrated for him. Like, I don't think this guy's going to come in and just make Chet's ceiling higher, but I think he might raise the floor. Yeah, and that, that could be pretty massive because I think everyone is obsessed with Chet's ceiling, right? Uh, but the floor is pretty low. If you can raise that floor, that's pretty special. I thought about J Dub a little bit in the in uh, in the mid range because his catch and shoot splits from the corners and just from three in general is stupid. Uh, but <laughs> him and him developing any sort of mid range game at all, I mean, of course, like in year one, it's going to be a lot really hard for him to do that, and he's really doesn't seem like that kind of player. But just him adding more consistency to his overall game would be really really good for him, and I like the. Like Vic Crecci, no matter how awkward this man looks, he's still going to get buckets. So I'm down for it. I also thought about if I could interject, and I know from yeah. listening to this podcast in the past that I'm probably higher on Pokashevsky than everyone uh, who's here right now. But just looking at like some of the um, corner threes he hit during the latter half of last year and a couple of them on like relocations, that's something like maybe not the form, but like 
could really help Poku get like smoother looks or be better about doing that more consistently. He still wasn't one of the top three picks for me, obviously, but that's just someone I would watch. I think maybe because I'm endlessly fascinated by him too. Hey, Poku is like my, my awkward seven foot one son. I love that man. He, if he, if he could fix, if he could fix Poku though, Holy cow. Give the, give the guy whatever much money he wants. Yeah. I, it's a big year for Poku. I think Dan, would you agree with that? Year three, the year before a contract year, year before extension eligible. Lots of other guys on the roster like Usman, like J-Dub, like J-Will, J-R-E. There's a lot. The Thunder have a lot of guys that can play that four spot. I feel like this is setting up to be a pretty pivotal year in Poku's development before, like, this team has 15 first-round picks over the next five years. Like, there's going to be roster turnover. And I do I think they're just going to cut Poku or not pick up his fourth year option? No, but it's, it feels like a pretty pivotal year for him. Yeah. I think just by virtue of them having so many picks. And I mean, even now, like they're going to need to make cuts to the roster doubt he's on it. I'm very curious to see what type of license or leash they give him with regards to playing time this year. Like I said, when he sort of rejoined the rotation, when it was in February, whatever, uh, I really thought that he was like more complimentary than he had ever been, but there's still just that, the, the peaks and valleys with him are just absolutely unreal still, but I watched that player and I just feel like there's a, a good impactful, um, con- like consistent rotation player in there, at least with maybe some super high highs and perhaps the lows are just a little bit higher than they've been, but he's still someone I just remain very high on after watching him. Like I said, towards the, the latter half of last year. I think that's fair. Well, Dan, we started the show. Uh, you had started to talk about this a little bit. I want to return to it for a second. Uh, but on a recent episode of Hardwood Knox, you went in on some ag- aggregation on the notion that OKC could sell high on Shea Gilgis Alexander if Josh Giddy breaks out. Um, I forget exactly who wrote that article. I think it was for the Washington Post. Uh, I know the No Dunks guys kind of took it and ran with it. Um, obviously, very big Toronto Raptors fans, a lot of the No Dunks guys. Um, but I think on, on that episode of Hardwood Knox, you really captured the feeling of a lot of Thunder fans. Uh, during that rant, can you just give us a deep dive into your thoughts on the state of the Thunder rebuild and why OKC and other small markets run the league? Um, I think there's this perception a lot of the times, you see it a lot with Lakers Twitter, that small markets are just farm systems for the big market teams in the league. Um, and so just kind of give us your thoughts on where the Thunder rebuild is, where it's headed um, and, and kind of just your thoughts on, on what the Thunder are doing as a small market franchise. Yeah. I think the first part of it is the way that national coverage skews. And as someone who covers the league nationally, like it's the Lakers and the Knicks and the Bulls and the Warriors that are going to generate the most coverage. And it feels like there might be a line of thinking of, well, how can we relate everything back to these teams? And we just don't need to do that. And then there's also just been the, um, the, the pattern of decisions where players have wanted out of smaller markets in the past. I've never seen that happen. Like, you know, we're at the point where he has five years left on his deal. And we're already going to talk about that. It's like Zion Williamson being Photoshopped into Lakers jerseys when he was drafted. Like if we seen the Chet Holmgren Lakers Jersey Photoshop yet, like that's probably out there already. So I hate that view, but I think it's more of a symptom of the the coverage surrounding today's league. Uh, And when you look at the Thunder rebuild, yeah, there are some fair criticisms to be made. Uh, Like that game against the Grizzlies this past season, our inability, like collectively nationally to contextualize what's happening. Like 
Yeah, that game sucked, and they were awful. It was not the single biggest harbinger of where they're at as a franchise. And we talk about how, when like the Spurs, they people have been clamoring for them to blow it up, um, but we're going to crucify the Thunder for going the route of blowing it up and accumulating picks when that's the best way to rebuild in a smaller market, especially now when free agency just... Forget about OKC's appeal. Like free agency is almost a thing of the past right now with the way that guys have been extended and they're they're getting moved later on. So to find that first star, you either need to acquire them while they're still on their rookie scale or draft them. The Thunder are just assembling as many bites at the apple as they can. And when you watch this team, like there are a bunch of intriguing players and there's like a rhyme and reason to what they're doing. Their defense was solid for most of last year, above average outside of garbage time. I don't think we gave enough credit to like, they pieced together this like mishmash front court rotation and their rim protection was still like pretty good. Um, So I think they're set up really well where I would actually be troubled is, you know, there's this season. And if something happens, if someone's injured, are we going to see more people get shut down? When it becomes like this cyclical, oh, we've had three, four, five years of of them sort of tanking. Um, yes, then it's a problem. We we're like not even three plus years into this right now, and so if you tell me that without any good reason, Shea is shut down again this year, like sure we can criticize that, but right now they have, I would say at least three viable blue chip cornerstone prospects. Shea is there. He's that guy. He's, I think he's probably the best player in the league right now who hasn't made an all NBA or all-star team. And then like you have these viable, I don't even want to call them flyers, but options in Chet Holmgren and Josh Giddy. Now that's how you rebuild, especially in these markets. And so I just don't understand the criticism when I don't think any of the moves the thunder have done have come out of turn. Like, it's not like they have been turning really good players into draft picks post uh, Westbrook and Paul George, the fact that we saw people needing to flip out over what happened with Roby was just like, they have 80 guys on the roster. Like there need to be some tough cuts made. And the thing we're not talking about, I know these picks were like kind of crappy, but they were protected until kingdom come. They consolidated into Uzma Jang. They're like, that's not a team that's actively trying to do nothing. So without I having mean, to give up the the latter pick. So they got Jang and they also got a J dub Jalen Williams, Alice Santa Clara. That's what it's like doing business with the Knicks, let me tell you. So, but I just, <laughs> it just feels like it's not even a matter of a difference of opinion. It just feels like a lot of the basis is factually incorrect. It's what if the point me to the move, the decision that the Thunder have made that is actively damaging, anti winning, or even anti like longevity. Now, if they turned around and traded Shea Gilgis Alexander despite this rant, like, yeah, I'm going to, I'm going to criticize the hell out of them. But I don't think like, I don't think they would, and they haven't shown any sign that they're going to. And so I just don't know where this talk is born from other than to wrap this up with what I started at the beginning. It's a symptom of the way the league is covered is that uh, Jacob mentioned this, like the smaller markets are viewed as these farm system for more glamorous markets, or at least as fodder for a discussion about the teams that are more talked about nationally. You said it perfect. The one thing it boils down to on September 2nd of this year. So in, five or six weeks, it will be the two-year anniversary of Game 7 against the Houston Rockets. We're not even two years out of them being in the first round of the playoffs and losing to the Rockets in Game 7. And people are acting like they've been tanking for a decade. Exactly. That's what it comes down to. It's like, it's just, it's really ignorance is what it is. And to both of your guys' points, Dan and Nick, and the ignorance point, I think these these national outlets see a player like Shea Gilgis-Alexander, who they they like personally and 
A, because the Thunder aren't playing nationally a lot right now, and B, because they do want to see him on one of those bigger markets because they like him as a player, right? These narratives are born. Uh, I think there's a lot to that as well. So I, I like that you brought that up. Yeah, it, it's, I don't know. I feel like the Thunder sometimes get an unfair shake at the the tanking notion. Um, I mean, there were comments this past season. They're the black eye of the NBA. Look at all this awful stuff they're doing. Um, intentionally losing games, whatever. It's like Portland got a pass last year. What have Orlando and Detroit done for the past five years? Shit, let's talk about the Kangs, right? It's only let's been <laughs> it's only been sixteen years. That that tank is old enough to drive at this point. You know, it's it's just wild to me. So, um, Nick, call me. Any other thoughts on on what I think Dan kind of hit everything on the head there? No, it, I would just say it's refreshing to hear from someone like Dan that that covers you know, the, the league as a whole and, and maybe some teams versus specifically, but actually having a real opinion that is educated and makes sense because there's just too much out there that you can just tell people haven't watched the thunder in two years by their takes. And, and even if they haven't, like, can we at least lay out alternatives to what you would like to do? Because <laughs> I mean, you mentioned the Kings or you can mention the Knicks. It's like the alternative is trying to not be terrible, but then failing to compete. If you don't have the right, options in place now you can make a case for the thunder like the moment they had Shea gilders alexander they were light years ahead of where any quote-unquote rebuild in sacramento new york have been in quite some time because he's so good but like accelerating isn't always the right move what did we we criticized new orleans for like being too aggressive with anthony davis at one point i just feel like there's never going to be a consensus consensus excuse me but there's like this really inconsistent logic behind the way we cover teams and certain players and it's like even i mean the bucks dealt with it with Giannis. there's like three or four years of mm -hmm. when's he gonna leave he's gonna go to the lakers or the warriors or the heat or something and so it's just it's a very disingenuous way to go about coverage and i'm someone who i push back against this notion that there's one way to cover the league i think we've now entered this toxicity where people are like oh it's not cool to talk about transactions or trades or signings we have to talk about like these teams that are running floppy action in this I enjoy all sorts of coverage, but there's like active detrimentality to certain elements. And when we're constantly looking at some teams like they're hopeless and can never compete or they can never do right in our eyes or broken record style, like they're just farming out talent to other teams that matter more. Like that's where the coverage starts to get. It's not just uninformed. It feels actively damaging to the product. Yeah, we, we've talked a lot on this show about how the Thunder want to avoid the middle. Right. What good does it do to to push forward and be a team that maybe gets in a play in game and you end up with pick 12 or 13 and you're not really adding more talent to your pool and you're just kind of stuck there spinning the wheels, never pushing deep into the playoffs, but never dropping out far enough to to get the odds of getting an all star all NBA caliber player at the top of the draft. You just get stuck in no man's land in the middle and you spin your tires forever and forever and forever. And I think that is the story of the Sacramento Kings. Uh, Sam Presti has it at his exit interview this year. Uh, and Nick, you might have the quote more on the head than I do. I think he said, in order to move fast, you have to move slow, right? You can't quick fix this thing into contention again. It's going to take a few years of building it the right way. And I think you look around the league and you can see a lot of teams that have gone about building it the wrong way. 
and and how detrimental that is. Uh, Dan, along with that episode of Hardwood Knox that I just mentioned uh, a little bit ago, last night you posted a clip on on your YouTube channel uh, from a recent episode as well, where you were answering the question uh, along the lines of which lottery team is most likely to break out next season. Uh, and you mentioned that the Oklahoma City Thunder could be that team. They had the fourth worst record in the league last year and the second worst record in the West last year. Obviously, they did intentionally tank at the end of the year. We saw a lot of Xavier Simpson, uh, a lot of, uh, God, the poor Greek kid that I can't even remember his name. Uh, he's Alexakis. There you go. What gives you hope or, or faith that the Thunder can be a team that makes a significant jump this year? Well, I think the one thing is that when you're asked that question, you have to step out on a limb. Like I could just be like, oh, the Lakers. Like what if, you know, they trade Russ or, you know, they're not injured. But we couldn't see the Cavs coming. And so I was trying to look at it through that lens. And I just look at the Thunder and there are so many interesting to actually established and good players on the team. Uh, and the fact that we know now, like they're going to go into next season still with Dort and Kenrich Williams, um, Shea Gildas Alexander's healthy. Josh Giddy looked fantastic in summer league. You have someone like Chet Holmgren, who I think at the very least is going to make an impact right away. Is just a, even a floor spacer and shooter on offense at minimum. Um, that's just super intriguing to me. And when you have one tent pole star, that gives you a chance to do something special. And that plus. I was really intrigued by what they did defensively last season. Um, Phoenix and Orlando were the only other teams to rank in the top 10 of both the percentage of shots allowed at the rim and then just the actual percentage allowed, shooting allowed at the rim. And now you have like Dort and Giddy. And I think I'm convinced that Shea is going to be better on defense this year. I He was like one of the best pick and roll defenders as a rookie that I can remember seeing in recent memory when he was with the Clippers. It feels like the Thunder... They're not underutilizing him, but that they're almost afraid to put too much on him. Now I'm just wondering with Giddy and Holmgren and even having like, you know, uh, Jalen Williams there as just other guys who might be able to take off some more of the creative burden. Do we see him be a little bit more active, maybe cover tougher assignments? Um, so I just feel like if you can have an okay defense plus that one ten pole star, and I do think they've opened up their offense at least a little bit, why not? I mean, they have as good a chance as like the other, I would call them like, genuine candidates where it's like you know am i going to take them over the rockets or the kings like yeah i would say you might like fox and sabonis better at the top for sacramento than shea plus do you trust Gideon or holmgren but there are a lot of swing elements to this team and it would not shock me if uh assuming they want to that would be the the caveats all this is like how in love with are, are they with uh victor webinyama like are they really trying to go after him but assuming they're not going to uh assuming they're going to be at least more aggressive to start this year like I could just see them being like around the top 10 in the Western conference and it, and it wouldn't shock me. Whole bunch of nothing after that. Um, so Dan, if they end up there at around, let's say nine or 10 in the West at the end of next season, I, I know like predicting injuries and stuff is, is impossible, but who are the teams that you think slide below them? I wouldn't, uh, Houston, obviously the Kings for sure. Utah feels like they're like, um, imploding by design at this point. Um, so you have three right there. Probably uh, the Spurs, the Spurs are actively not trying to get there. And so like, there's your four. And I'm trying to think of like who else was on the fringes last year. You expect the Lakers to be better than them, but I'm not going to rule anything out. Um, this will be the fourth year running in which I probably underestimate the Grizzlies. It just feels like they have a slope that they can travel down. Um, they let Kyle Anderson leave and it seems like they're going to depend an awful lot on 
not only Zaire Williams in year two, but at least one of David Robbie or uh, Roddy or Jake Laravia. How healthy is Triple J to start next year? Um, John Morant's dealt with some injuries too. And then Dallas did just lose Jalen Brunson. They have Luka. And so finding that last team feels like it's probably the hardest exercise. Um, but there's so, there's so many experimental things going on in the West right now. Um, or even just like question marks, like the Pelicans should be great if Zion Williamson is healthy, but will Zion Williamson be healthy? So it's finding that one team for them to sort of edge out and aside from the ones we just named. And I just don't think there's enough what ifs up and down the conference aside from like if Phoenix stays together, if Golden State is still there, those teams. Uh, but there's enough what ifs, I think, to at least envision a road where if the Thunder are reasonably healthy all season and going for it, that they could be one of the top 10 teams. And I think that's I like an interesting one. I, I hadn't thought about them. Like if Zion doesn't play, I think we we look at them last season as good because they made the playoffs and beat the Clippers in the playing game, but they did not have a good record. Like 36 and 46, it's not a good record. But you now know, you like have they, they, they could slip. So you're yeah, thinking like, like how good is a McCollum and BI led team even without Zion? Probably better than they, they were last year, right? But still, I mean, it, it's a good point that they're an entry away from and Dyson Daniels. Like, can he make an immediate impact? Some players like that. Uh, still, they are an interesting team, but like, I think for the reasons that we're mentioning right here and that Dan just mentioned is why we maybe won't see, uh, or it'll be a little more organic. We won't see the full on tank. Like we've seen the, the past couple seasons at the, the end of the seasons for OKC where you can still let these guys play. Because it is such a such a stacked Western Conference this season, um, it is going to be really hard for them just because of their age and their youth and experience for them to crack that that play in, um, even as well as it's a, a deep draft. So we we talk a lot about women Yama, but I mean, there's so many other we can go down the list. There's the Thompson twins. There's the uh, Scoo Henderson. There's the kid Nick Smith kid from Arkansas, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Presty may not even have his eyes set on women Yama at the top. He could say, "Hey, you know what? Let's let these guys do their thing." We end up at the 11th or 12th spot in the West and we still end up with a really solid prospect uh, and, and potentially could use some of our other assets to trade up higher in the draft. So, you know, we, we've been using the term ever since Windhorse said that he he's heard the Thunder going to quote unquote, push the pedal down a little more next season. I like to think of it as a, uh, there's going to keep the the pedal in intact instead of uninstalling it. Like they have the past two seasons at the, the, the end. That's probably a good point. Um, yeah, I don't know. I, I think, like like Taylor said, it's going to be a little more organic this year. Um, Presty mentioned a lot about playing in games of consequence, right? And if towards the end of the season, they are not in position to play in games of consequence, they probably do what they've done the past couple of years and pull the plug. Now, that term, games of consequence, can be very subjective, right? Does, is a game of consequence trying to get into a play-in spot or... Is that not consequential enough? Is he looking at home court advantage? You know, we we don't really know that aspect of it, so that'll be interesting. Um, a few more things with Dan, but before we do that, let's tell the listeners um, about our shirts and our sponsors for the week. What's up, Thunder fans? This is Jacob from the Uncontested Podcast, and I'm here to let you know that we have fully redesigned our merch store to get you the best Thunder swag available. Just visit cottonbureau.com and search the Uncontested Podcast to find all of our new designs. That's C-O-T-T-O-N-B-U-R-E-A-U.com and search the Uncontested Podcast. 
to find new drops like Josh Giddy's Wizard of Oz or an ode to the Trey Man Step Back. We've also got all the classics like Dortal Combat, Lu Tang Clan, and everyone's favorite MVP, Shay Gilgis Alexander. The best part? You can get any design and the style of apparel you want. So if you're gearing up for the summer and want a tank top, needing a hoodie for the winter in Australia, or you're wanting a Pokemon onesie for your baby, we've got you covered. Make sure to go to cottonbureau.com and search The Uncontested Podcast to get your new Thunder gear today. We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Mother's Day is around the corner. Find the perfect gift for the mom in your life with a stunning piece of jewelry from Blue Nile. From timeless pearls to dazzling gemstones, Blue Nile has something she'll adore. Need it fast? Most items can ship overnight. Plus, enjoy guaranteed free shipping and returns. Don't miss our special Mother's Day deals. Save big on the season's most beautiful trends. For a limited time, get up to 50% off by going to BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. And we are back. Dan, one thing that I think the Thunder really are building for is the summer of 2023. Uh, right as of right now, they project to have about twenty million dollars in cap space going into next summer. They only have one first round pick, uh, which for most of the league is normal. For the Oklahoma <laughs> City, only having one first is very not normal. Um, but but there's a lot of Thunder fans wondering: Is the summer of 2023 really when they start to like officially push the pedal to the floor? Do they try to consolidate some of these draft picks and go trade for the next disgruntled star? Uh, do they put a lot of stuff on the table and try to trade up to, I, I honestly don't think anybody's going to be able to trade for pick number one next year. I think Victor Wembanyama is just that good, but maybe you land at seven and you go trade for two or three. So I want to ask you the thunder very clearly have a style that they're going for right now, which are guys that have a very high basketball IQ can pass dribble shoot uh, typically have good length. We're talking about guys like, J-Dub, Chet Holmgren, Josh Giddy, Usman Jang, Shea Gilgis-Alexander. Who are a few names around the league that you think if the Thunder decided, hey, we want to go get like the guy to come play with Shea and Chet and everybody else, 
um, we're ready to trade all of these draft picks and and a Lou Dort and a Trey Man and a this and a that. Who are some guys that fit that mold? The high IQ, versatile, can do a little bit of everything on the court uh, that you think would make intriguing fits with the Thunder? Uh, look, we have Toronto fans thirsting after Shea. We could just throw it back on the Raptors. And if Pascal Siakam ever becomes available, just as you want to talk about timelines, he's 28. That's like 80 years old. And what if the Raptors aren't ready to contend for a whole another 14 months or something? Uh, he would be someone that's super interesting. Uh, I was an advocate and not so much anymore because Jermichael Green's salary was a big part of it to me. I thought they should have looked at, even though he doesn't necessarily fit their mold, like a Donovan Mitchell, Shea Gilgis-Alexander pairing, I thought would have worked really well. Are you ready to go for that type of pick equity? Um, and then when you kind of look at how the star trade market might unfold, it's really hard to find like names that could become available. Sure, could you envision like Bradley Beal or Zach Levine in a year being up for grabs, perhaps, but I don't necessarily love, you know, you want to talk about timelines or an injury history with Zach Levine. I don't necessarily love that for the Thunder. Um, I briefly considered like this isn't someone I would view as the guy, but like, uh, like how much does Miles Turner cost right now? And like, you want like him and Chet Holmgren playing together would be super intriguing for me. And so I can't find like the guy just because I guess it's really hard for me right now to envision when, like what name is going to become available that reaches that level. Um, but if it was like a Pascal Siakam to keep an eye on is definitely someone that feels like he would definitely fit the, the thunder mold, especially because, um, he could probably uh, benefit from chicken uh, chip England as well. If we're going to go on the Toronto route, I'd love to see what it would take to pry away. OG. Ooh, That'd OG's be incredible fun. in this lineup. I mean, the player there that, that does fit the best is Scotty Barnes, but yeah, good if luck. Scotty, yeah, if they aren't giving Scotty up for KD, they aren't, uh, they aren't going to give him up for even Shay, not to, you know, just to, to go off what we've been talking about Shay to Toronto. The Gary Trent Jr. would be fun from the Raptors too. Like, let's just get a bunch of uh, the Raptors on the Thunder at this point. But GCJ <laughs> feels like would be a really good fit for OKC. The Pascal fit. The South, I guess. <laughs> We've Wait. talked about the Pascal fit uh, a few times on this podcast. I think he's a really interesting one. Could slot right in there at the four. And Dan, funny enough, the Miles Turner one. Uh, Nick, I think we talked about that last Sunday, did we not? Uh, if you put Miles at the five and Chet at the four. I mean, who the hell scores at the rim? You know, you just block every shot and you can play five out on offense. Everyone can space the floor. It's a really interesting fit. And yeah, I mean, Miles Turner isn't your go-to guy, the one that puts you over the top. But I think as a complimentary piece, he fits in pretty well there. It's it's a pretty fascinating one. Taylor, call me or Nick, any other names that you guys find intriguing that could possibly be available in a year that the Thunder could could realistically take a swing at i've got one you're not gonna like i think that he's a guy that could be had if the team wants to not they're they're not gonna tear it down they've got an mvp candidate they would never do that but if they want to retool aaron gordon's still young ish i i think he could be interesting if you really want to like take that next step he's not a star but if you want to actually go to that next level with a guy that's that's got more experience and can do a lot of things i think he'd be interesting I'm thinking same team, different position, uh, Michael Porter Jr., but the injury history is terrifying, and I thought that would be fun. Uh, but other than the, of course, Miles Turner talk we had just the other night. That's tough. I'm just trying to think of like some younger – it, it would, would have to fun. be somebody young. It would have to be probably moved like 
Memphis would have to be making a swing that no one saw coming. Because right now, I just think they're overvaluing like their developmental process. But like, if they put Triple Ooh, J on Triple the table J, for Kevin yeah. Durant and the Nets are like, you know what? We actually don't want to try and remain competitive now. Can the Thunder like latch on as the third team? And that would probably be the route, the path to getting OG Ananobi as well. Is if Durant's going to Toronto and like you can come in there and Brooklyn isn't necessarily interested in um, winning now. So like that would be like another name would just be fast. His injury history is certainly risky. I probably trust his body a little bit more than MPJ's at this point, though. Here's one that I, I don't know if it fits the super versatile high IQ aspect that Presti has looked for recently. And I don't think they'd ever trade him, even if he said he was going to walk in free agency in two years. But let's say this time next year, this team doesn't play as well as they did this year. And the the front office starts to feel like, hey, maybe we lose him in a year We because he's definitely not signing that extension. I'm just an enormously large Jalen Brown fan. What if so Boston... Like really like, good basketball players. <laughs> typically. What if yeah, Boston... Hot, hot take, like, Jacob. What if Boston gets bounced in like round one next year to the Raptors, right? Or or to uh, a hodgepodged uh, Brooklyn team that maybe doesn't want to play basketball together, but they didn't trade any of the guys. And Jalen's name starts popping up in trade rumors again. And, he, you know, Brad Stevens thinks, I don't know if this guy's going to re-sign with us next summer and could walk for nothing. Let's trade him now and go get a whole bunch of shit for him. I mean, I I would love that, but again, it doesn't necessarily fit that that mold that we're talking about there. I think Jalen's a little more robotic in his game. Um, not to say like it's like Serge Ibaka level, uh, but but just a little more. He has got to go through the process. Uh, doesn't play with as much feel. Um, but I think it's an interesting one. He would make your defense if if you have him, Lou, and Chet on the same team. You have a pretty special defense, I think. I did briefly in my notes, I have in parentheticals in my Google doc while I was going through this. Um, and I'm almost reticent to say, cause I don't want people to get mad, but like, what if the bucks they're either trying to like restock their pick equity or again, it's part of a different trade. They know he's coming up on free agency. If he's healthy, Chris Middleton would be a fantastic fit for OKC. His game That's is fun. a lot on offense is a lot less robotic than Jalen's. And he's, he's not as good on defense, but there would be like sort of a similar philosophy behind that. And him and SGA pairing, I know Middleton skews older, but that would be just like, I don't need like Bucks fans getting angry though, because like they have, they're contending, they have their big three. Like, why would you get rid of him? But he's been injured. He's coming up on a new deal soon. Um, so that would just be, that'd be a really fun name for OKC to go after. And I just wonder what the cost would be depending on like the method of acquisition. That's the, that's the fun part of being a, it's almost like the, in football, the quarterback theory, like your window of contention's best when your quarterback's on his rookie deal. Cause you have money to spend like, 2023 comes around Shea's like the only guy that's making big money. You have a few years. You don't want to, you know, go trade for a guy that's got five years left on a max. If it could hinder you signing Josh and Chet down the road, like way further down the road, but you got a couple years where you could take a guy that's got two years left on a max or, or close to a max. And if it doesn't work out, you trade him or you sign somebody else whenever the time comes. Like there, there's, there's definitely some wiggle room the way they've set themselves up. It's interesting for sure. I, I think the position most of need right now. I mentioned earlier, the Thunder have a lot of guys who can play the four, but not a lot of guys that can play the four. Well, um, yeah. Dan, th I think the last name I want to bring up here, unless anyone else has one, I think this is a really divisive one as well. 
might have been who I was about to mention. Uh, ben, ben Simmons. Oh, never mind. I thought you were about to mention uh, best-selling author Jonathan Isaac for a second. But you said <laughs> you wanted someone. You said I, don't you wanted know someone I, can, well, I don't know so if I can yeah. make this joke, but I think we already have enough red hats in Oklahoma. So. <laughs> <laughs> Don't know if I can make that joke, but I made the joke. So, um, is is Ben? Uh, hey, we have England in Oklahoma City now. If there's one guy that can fix that jumper, it might be him. Can we? Just you want to talk about a guy that that is versatile that can defend the shit out of everybody? I, look, if Chip could just get him to stop posting his offseason workout videos of him hitting jumpers he never takes in real games, that's that a win be, in itself. Yeah. <laughs> Where, do you think they would consider more of like a? It doesn't necessarily have to be a stopgap solution, but it's a non-star type of player to like the four specifically. Like, what if we're in the middle of the season, teams are looking to to tax dump or rebuild? Like, you know, Boyan Bogdanovich would be fantastic, but he's like that's someone you'd go after imminently. Or even, uh, I'm convinced that Marcus Morris Senior is not going to finish the year at the Clippers because they have hmm. quite literally all the wings, and like I think they want Amir Coffee to actually play. Would this team ever consider doing something like that? where it's like a player who doesn't substantially elevate their ceiling. But if you're interested in having games of consequence, they're good players that would help you at, which I agree is just their, their biggest area of need where, yeah, there are options at the four, but none of them are just entrenched or guaranteed. It, it depends on like where a, they're at at that point in the season. Yeah, major consequence. I think, so too. I, yeah. I I think if a, they were like, move. if Oklahoma city was somehow in February in like fifth or sixth in the West, I could see them making that move. But if they're at like 10, 11, 12, I don't think so. Also, this is a bit of a deep cut, Dan. I don't even know if you'll remember this, but Markeith Morris was in Oklahoma City for a solid two months uh, <laughs> and did not enjoy his time and and made sure everyone knew it on his way out. I don't think uh, Marcus would, would be too thrilled with that. I mean, it beats playing behind like Brandon Boston Jr. at one point, or if you're not closing <laughs> yeah, games at the five. True. But uh, yeah, that's a good point. I did not, I don't even know if I knew about that, but I definitely didn't remember it. Yeah, he, he got traded here. Was that? No, that was, that was a the, buyout. That was a buyout. That was, was, that's right. The biggest, the biggest, maybe the biggest or second biggest free agent acquisition in Thunder history. Thunder of God. Dude, yeah, I totally that, forgot he even played for OKC. Yeah, but the Portland do, series where Dame went by. I do remember him being very very pissed in his exit interview and saying like they they didn't have a role for him and stuff like that yeah he was like he was he was promised a certain role when he signed in the buyout market and then never got it yeah which which is yeah. goes back i don't want to bring up mitchich because jacob will get triggered <laughs> but when guys when guys have these requirements to be like to come to the team or come to the NBA and be traded. It's just like, you can't guarantee minutes because if you don't perform, you're not going to get them. Like, sorry. Yeah. yeah. I mean, Mark Keefe was also like, he, he wasn't, he hasn't been good for a while now. No. And I'm not dumping on any market in particular, but like Marcus Morris seemed to enjoy playing for Detroit. Like wh why can't you play for OKC? True. Especially if your yeah. role is going to be, I just, fine there. we keep talking about this upcoming roster crunch, right? With, with all these young prospects that the Thunder have, even guys like a Darius Bate. Anyway, we talk about Rob or talk about people getting upset that Roby got waived, right? Think about like Darius Baisley or even Poku. These are guys that are coming up on pretty, I mean, with these new, new talents coming in, like the Jangs, whoever they end up getting in the next draft, there's only so much roster room. And at a certain point, you really have to kind of see what these guys are capable of. And if they can or have made that, that next leap, 
I think because of that, we're going to see a lot of the Jangs, the Pokus, the Baisleys rotating in and out of that that four spot, uh, the wing, the the other wing spot, the you know the the other big playing next to Chet, depending on the lineups that uh, that, that Dagnall will be throwing out there. So because of that, I think this is a critical year to kind of see those players. That's probably why we don't see a move like going after a a perfect fit for to pair alongside Chet this season, right? That's why it probably is one, two, three seasons down the road. I also think like Kenrich Williams could be in that role that Marcus Morris would play. And I think in J dub like playing him yeah. at the four some that's it's, and that's the thing is at some point when you're ready to be good, you're going to have to make moves and the guys fans love may not be playing around the roster, but, but to roster point, turnover, there's, there's going to be five guys left on this team in three years. But to Dan's point, like that's when you do go and trade for, uh, you can you can consolidate rather than just like waving a player like a Roby. It could be a Baisley and somebody else, and then a bunch of picks to go and get a a another player that's in the league right now. But that's a of a higher caliber than a, one of the Morris twins, right? Um, yeah. That's yeah, when you're, you're talking about like a DeAndre Hunter, depending on that. You know, just players of that caliber. I'd be curious Did- if they could consolidate into like someone else on a rookie scale too, where I feel like a lot True. of teams don't think along those lines. Uh, one of these is pretty much already off the board. I thought the Spurs were going to trade Keldon Johnson. Yes, I know is yes. A team. That should Agreed. be interesting. But also just like, I don't think they would, but maybe it's just because I'm legitimately in love with him. But like if OKC threw like a bunch of picks and some like spare bodies at San Antonio, like how much does it take to get Devin Vassell? Who'd be like a perfect oh, fit for the Thunder. Yes. That's not someone you trust with ball creation, but like he did some stuff off of ball screens after the uh, Derek White trade last year. So that would just be a, a line of thinking you could go and they already went that route a little bit just with the Usman Jang trade consolidating those picks into a youngster it doesn't always have to be like this higher paid star definitely uh Dan before we move on to our last segment one other guy that just got mentioned here that I know you've been pretty high on in the past um Kenrich Williams just what, what do you kind of see f- as his role moving forward with this team it's kind of funny he's like 27 and definitely like an elder statesman on this team. I think we all believe that they're going to buy out Derek Favors eventually this offseason. When that happens, I think Kenrich Williams becomes the second oldest player on the team, uh, which is wild. But just kind of your thoughts on him, what role uh, he can provide for this team and and what all he can do and, and how you see his fit moving forward. Yeah, I mean, look... <laughs> I think depending on who emerges from this team, I don't know if Kenrich Williams is still long for OKC beyond this season, but you want your entire rotation to be made up of Kendrick Williams's. That guy is like the consummate gap filler. And it's someone who can shoot just good enough on threes. Uh, maybe he becomes more willing to chuck them now that Chip Anglin's in, in um, OKC. Someone who can like put the ball on the floor a little bit. I don't know that there's anything on defense he can't do at this point. Like, no, you're not. He's not your highest end um, like wing defender or point of attack defender, but like he can just switch on to anybody. He can provide some like secondary rim protection. If you want to play in games of consequence, like that's the guy, even if you're experimenting with youth, when you're trying to, if you're winnowing down your rotation to between eight and 10 guys, like he needs to be in it regardless. And so I just view him as more of a, a gap filler. And I can't remember who mentioned it, but like that's definitely someone who you should be, you know, if you're going into looking at, well, who is the best chance to really stick at the four for us? Like, it feels like that should be him. And do they get, you know, super experimental? And he's dabbled a little bit. Um, he played like very scant minutes over the course of his career, really, at the five. Like, you could try things like that. He is such a, a malleable player. Uh, and I was excited to see that 
they did extend him just because I was getting maybe fatigue from seeing people like propose trades where only the Thunder got a second round pick, uh, like a top 55% a protected second round pick for him. So I think he's so scalable and plug and play and he doesn't impact where you're trying to do one way or the other. And if you want to hang on to him, especially on a deal that's like, I don't know how Sam Presti gets people to sign these things, but that's like a negative percentage of the salary cap moving forward, basically. Uh, I think that he can fill so many different roles for them. And depending on who breaks out, yes, could it also be a means to move him? It could also just be like, well, we'll just tinker the way that he plays because he can fit around quite literally anyone. He's awesome. He's You want to talk about guys that got that dog in them. Kenrich Williams is like the epitome of that. All right, Dan, before we let you go, we are going to play a word association game. So we have a list of words here that all relate to the Oklahoma City Thunder words or or phrases. We're going to give you one of them, and I just want you to fire off the first thing that comes to your mind. I am woefully unprepared, but let's do this. <laughs> Welcome to my life, man. First one, Shea Gilgis-Alexander. Superstar. Ooh. I like that. Uh, Speaking of a, maybe a potential superstar, Chet. Giannis mated with KD. <laughs> Give me the um, weirdest visual. In my yeah, mind. the visual I got there was a little disturbing, <laughs> but uh, I'm into it. I'm into it. Hey, you said superstar on SGA. You think he's an all star next season? Yeah, look, if he plays, I'm just like, if he's in the lineup, I'm just going to say yes. I predicted that last season, so let's just double down. He is, I think he's quite clearly, I'm trying to think of like, maybe there's some year two players who belong there, but who's better? objectively been Shea in the league that hasn't made an all-star team yet. I don't know. Like, yeah, if you want to say Cade Cunningham or Evan Mobley, fine. But like those are Anthony Edwards. Guys. Yeah. Uh, I mean, that's a, that's a good one. I was thinking he made it last year, but you're right. That's crazy. Yeah. What about the phrase draft picks? Good. Lots of them. Like <laughs> consolidation. Of Limitless. Yeah, like optionality. There's so many things that come to mind. <laughs> The best you know what's, cra- what's crazy oh, is is with those draft picks. So far, the Paul George trade has netted Oklahoma City, Trey Mann, Jalen Williams, J Dub, Shea Gilgis Alexander, and there's four more picks or swaps left. <laughs> that I don't know who phrased it this way, but the best way that trade that I've heard framed is that the Thunder found a way to trade. Kawhi and Paul George, even though Kawhi never actually played for them. I don't know who phrased it that way, but that was the best way I've ever heard that deal framed. Just absolutely an incredible haul. Pretty, pretty accurate too. Go crazier ahead. That, crazier that uh, it all stemmed from an expiring Serge Ibaka. Every, oh, every piece of that deal came the from... Serge Ibaka trade tree is drunk. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Yes. Serge well, Ibaka for Sabonis and Oladipo. Those mm-hmm. two for Paul. And then Paul for the the Clippers Hall. It goes even further back from like somebody they traded for. Uh, or that, traded that got them the search pick. Yeah, yeah, it, yeah. It, it traces its lineage all the way back to the Seattle days. Next phrase, Pukushevsky. superstar. No, I'm just <laughs> super duper star. Tantalizing <laughs> is the word that comes to mind for me. Yeah, he's like he's clearly the Thunder's. We're all in agreement that Poku's the Thunder's best prospect. He's their hope for the future. So. <laughs> I love it. There's even hey, if that's Poku, a sleeper for an England project right there. Definitely. And it, even if Poku doesn't pan out 
if he never becomes a good NBA player, we will always have that video from ESPN on when he was announced as the draft pick with him and all eight of his family members living in the Soviet bloc. Um, just nobody with a smile on their face. Maybe my favorite NBA picture of all time. And there's like the live, laugh, love sign in the background. (laughs) Yeah. And the post-it note over the apple on the, on the computer. It's, The more you look at it's one of those things where the the longer you look at it, the better it gets, the more little details you find. All right, Dan, next phrase or word tanking. Uh, I don't really know. I guess I don't have a strong opinion on tanking. I, and I can't like the immediate association is if you don't want tanking, then the draft can't be incentivized um, to encourage tanking. I know they switched up the lottery odds and that they're going to eventually do the midseason tournament or whatever, but I don't think they've done anything to actively dissuade teams from tanking. And so I don't, I don't know that I would have done anything differently than what the thunder have done to get to this point. And uh, I think the results are going to wind up paying off for this team specifically uh, down the line. If not, if not semi immediately. Taylor, you got the next word. Next one's OKC. That's pretty vague. So I'm curious your thoughts. Thunder. Okay. <laughs> uh, Fair. Just like potential just screams of possibility is probably the word for me. I just feel like, you know, maybe this is a team that won't ever actually go the full on consolidation route, but they can, if they want to, they have all these bites at the draft apple. Um, you know, the athletics, John Hollinger was just talking about how um, the way that these, some of these extensions have been structured, it might actually bring back free agency Um, because the cap is going to skyrocket and these players aren't going to want to extend off those numbers since right now you can only get that 120% raise. And so like, yes, I know that OKC is not considered the most glamorous market, but if you end up in, you know, what if there's a salary cap climate like the one we just experienced where there's basically no one with cap space and there's a good player who wants to leave, maybe you sign them, maybe you're working out a sign and trade uh, and you, there are just so many different routes that they can still go. And I think when we boil it down, the entire point of a rebuild is to angle for something more than the middle. And they just have so many different paths to getting away from the bottom without getting stuck in the middle. That's I don't know what else you're supposed to want from a rebuild, especially when we don't look at them and say, you know, this wasn't the, like, this isn't the, I don't even know what team's a great example, but like the magic until they had Bancaro, like, and looking at them and saying, oh, well, who's like their, their pole star of the future, that directional player. Uh, the Thunder have had that guy since they got rid, since they had to trade out of being super competitive. And he's been on an iteration of a really good team and was super valuable to that OKC squad that almost beat the team that they traded Russell Westbrook to. So I, there's just so much potential and possibility here. And even if you don't watch the Thunder on a regular basis, I feel like it's not really hard to see. And it's not even me just like, you know, invariably I'll criticize the Thunder and all the Thunder fans that now like me because you guys have retweeted a couple of things I've like, said about them they'll barely get mad about something i'll say but you don't even need to like objectively speaking the thunder are just flexible in a, a, the best possible way for a rebuilding team and so possibility is the, that was my long winding way of saying possibility is the the first word i think about when i hear okc i like that like that a lot what about the word giddy indifferent i don't I, man i don't know i'm a little bit higher on him after summer league and the passing is absolutely absurd i'm just i still think i'm a lot lower on him than than thunder fans where it's like i had on youtube i was talking about why they should have been the donovan mitchell trade destination 
And there were a lot of commenters that just thought like, no, you can't give up Giddy in that deal. And I just wouldn't even think twice about doing it. And that I might just be too low on him. Um, you know, maybe that's just like my Poku bias just creeping in at that point. But uh, I need to see what's going to happen in, you know, the NBA games. Like, is he going to be a more aggressive and consistent finisher? What happens with Chip and uh, the jumper? Uh, there's no question, though, that like the IQ is there. And, and his size for the position that he plays is just absolutely spectacular. But he's just one of those players where it's like, it's not like Darius Baisley to where I have no idea what the hell he's supposed to be at this point. But like, I'm having trouble envisioning um even though jacob laid out what i think is a fair one when you look at the if the shooting swings in his favor i just have trouble envisioning the highest end outcome for him right now i just don't have a great feel i guess what about hiding in plain sight <sighs> could be the thunder Che gilders alexander uh mark dagnall like can we talk about like Ooh, he's been pretty expensive like he's been a, a really good solid, one like Given what they've had him work with, I mean, like Melvin Frazier averaged like 80 minutes per game in the three or four appearances he he made last year. Uh, I think he's done just a hell of a job. And to still have buy-in, it seems like, at least publicly, yep. from Shea after all of this, like that's just like kudos to him and, and to Sam Presti and like the organization thinking, oh, like going out there and getting a Chip Anglin for a roster that seems like they could really um, uh, like use him. And the other thing I'll say is, Hiding in plain sight, I feel like, is Usman Jang. I think a lot of people are viewing that uh, the trade for the Knicks because they get those extra first-round picks. And the order of operations was just so uh, screwed up. I almost dropped an F-bomb there. Excuse me. Just like, I think we lost sight of the fact that, okay, maybe you don't think he's a star, but I feel like Usman Jang is going to be like a ridiculously good NBA player. Just looking at the way he can already make decisions and pass, like those quick passes and, and defend. So he might be one of those prospects that I know we've talked a lot about J Dub and Chet Holmgren, mm-hmm. but like you might look back on this draft and be like, oh, they stole Usman Jang. When you when you think about the Thunder having a top ten or eleven defense at the All Star break last year, like that's Mark Dignall. Going back to your initial comment there, like it, it's it's incredible what he did defensively. I I can't. They were until they did their thunder thing at the end of the year. Yep. Like they were, like you said, so close to top ten. And the, like you look at who was on their roster. Uh, like they should not have been as good in like terms of rim protection as they were. And I know a lot of it was just like teams took a lot of threes that the yep. Thunder were seeming to invite, but like, that's still just, th- there's a basis there. And I don't know if this is the year where it all comes together. Like I said, I would bet against them being a top 10 team in the West, but if you're looking for like that high range outcome from a lottery team, that's actually young from this past year, I, I think they're just still my pick. Like there's a chance that a lot of this just comes together now. And it would be interesting to revisit some of the opinions that we've seen from um, people who are against what the Thunder are doing just, just a year down the line. Yeah. It'll look really bad if they shut down Shea again and they're going all in for Weminyama. But I can't remember who mentioned this either. If you want games of consequence, but you're not there yet. And it's because you're just giving a longer rope to all of your youngsters. And then you decide to, you know, throw in the towel over the last third of the season fine like what isn't like how are you else are you supposed to find out what you have without actually giving the leeway to these youngsters i think some of the biggest criticisms i've had for the knicks uh when you look at and the reason i'm mentioning this is the trade talks for donovan mitchell there are a lot of people saying like well iq and ob Toppin are like they're not even rotation players and quentin grimes didn't play till the end of last year there's a reason for that because like the knicks actively signed and acquired players who run on a different timeline that played in front of them. And so I give the Thunder credit for giving a lot of these guys a a longer leash, even if people don't like watching what the product becomes over the last like 18 or 22 games of the season. And that's totally fair. Last 
word association, Dan. Ludort. Bargain. I couldn't believe the reaction to his his contract. And it looked even better for the Thunder uh, that the fifth year is a team option. And it's just, and there's like some of the, like the, the incentives that are baked in to there. Uh, I think people just view him as like this non-shooting defensive specialist. And I feel like he's proven like on multiple levels that he's so much more than that. And the going rate for these defensive brick houses who, yeah, you can throw them at the point of the attack, but he's also someone who will break up plays in transition at the rim. If they have any offensive skill whatsoever, like this isn't someone who can't put the ball on the floor at all. Uh, he's allowed to dribble. Um, I'm totally fine with the contract they gave him. And there's a chance with the cap rising that it ends up looking like, I won't say decidedly below market, but I have trouble envisioning a scenario where that deal, especially given the way it's structured, um, looks anything above market two or three years down the line. Yeah, I've got a question for you real quick. Hits. Oh, go ahead, Nick. I, I had this conversation with someone the other day. I thought it was interesting. Um, I want you to rank these three players and also give, like, if there's a large gap between these guys or if it's close. Lou Dort, Matisse Thibel, Keldon Johnson. Okay, Matisse Thibel is just low-key, like, one of the worst players in the NBA. And so there's, like, a huge gap. But, like, he has not made any offensive progress whatsoever since he came in into the league. Um, so I would have him at three. Uh, I think I have Lou Dort and Keldon Johnson would be in the same tier. I have... If I'm projecting forward, I think it's Keldon Johnson. There's probably more. He's already proven that he's going to be the higher-end shooter away from the ball. And last year, there was a little bit more directionality to his drives as well. I think you could probably move him around positionally a little bit more on defense, even if Dort is the, the better defender. That's a great comp, though, because he gets 480, and people just don't even bat an eye. And they look right, at Lou right. Dort's deal, which was... That's, if that's where the conversation the stemmed yeah. from. And the person I was talking to, which I thought was bonkers, is they they thought Matisse would get a bigger deal than Lou. And I just think that's insane. Uh, whatever team does that is just setting money on fire. Because <laughs> yeah. I've been so unimpressed with uh, Matisse Thibault's lack of development. Dan, you mentioned you know, there's this perspective that Lou Dort isn't a great offensive player. Um, I think he's fine. I think maybe the most important thing is he's willing to shoot. Uh, and in the Thunder past, we have had defensive-minded guards who are too afraid to shoot the ball. Uh, I love Andre Robertson to death. I thought he was incredible, but the dude was allergic to jump shots. Uh, so quick trivia question. Do you know Lou Dort's career high in points in, in a single game? Oh, in a single game? Like is it 44 or something like that? Close, 42. Okay. I do remember him like dropping in the 40s at one point. And it was against the Utah Jazz with Rudy Gobert on the floor too, which is very impressive to me. He People give him a hard rap, but he just, he makes tough buckets. He's, you know, the, the viral clips of him checking LeBron James at the end of a game or blocking somebody at the rim for a game-saving block or uh, hell, Kamiar and I were at the game where he, you know, strips De'Aaron Fox and gets a layup at the other end in the final seconds. Kamiar actually lost his wedding ring that night. I did. Um, never got, never found. Lost in the bowels of the Paycom Center somewhere. Yeah. Smeagol's got us somewhere. <laughs> um, but I, mean, I, I, I think very, very underrated. And I think a lot of this all stems back to the Thunder have played like two nationally televised games in the past two years. No, is that low? I think it's something like that. I, I think people they were just, both NBA TV too. Mm-hmm. Yeah. People just don't see this team. And so there's a very, unless you are a junkie on, on league pass watching OKC Thunder versus Detroit Pistons tank offs, 
uh, you're not really getting to see some of the talent that is everybody's just box score watching. Exactly. Um, all right. Well, Dan, thank you so much for coming on before we let you go though. I have to do a quick rapid fire. Where is Donovan Mitchell playing next year? The Knicks. It's just, I mean, we're not even hearing about other teams involved in Donovan Mitchell sweepstakes. There's a deal to be had there. The Knicks have been after him for years. I think it's just a matter of how much do they give up? And um, they loaded up on future first at the draft. And it seems like that was part of the reason why. And I think the more fascinating question for me is what's the over under on the number of first round picks and swaps the, the jazz end up getting from New York. And I think there's a chance that it's going to be a lot higher than people think at this point. Interesting. Where is Kevin Durant playing at the beginning of next year? Oh man. Uh, I'm just going to say, I want to say new Orleans because I'm a sucker for that fit. I'm just going to say Phoenix. Ooh boy. I think, think mega stars tend to get, where they want to be and Phoenix and Miami are the only teams on a short list right now. So I'm just going to say Phoenix Kyrie Irving, the Lakers. Does that make them better or worse? Oh, it definitely. I mean, look, I know that this is a pro Russ podcast probably, but like the fit with Russ and the Lakers was so toxic on the court. Oh, we talked about as soon as that trade was made, we were like, just what the hell are you doing? Like should have stuck with the buddy heel trade or something. It's just, it's almost impressive that the Lakers in the first year with LeBron tried to surround them with playmaking and non-shooters. It didn't work. They win a championship surrounding him and AD with defense and shooters. You win a championship. And then like less than two years later, you pivot out of that um, to the rust fit while giving up all this value. But I do think Kyrie makes the Lakers better. Um, what would be interesting is we've heard him say he wants to play all these places before. Boston, Brooklyn, only to leave. He could still be a free agent next summer. I don't necessarily know what the market's going to be hot for him, but I think the combustibility factor with Kyrie Irving and the Lakers is actually higher than it would be with, at this point, you know, the Russell Westbrook fit is sort of the toxicity you know, whereas like what happens with, does he go MIA like he did to the Nets um, mm-hmm. at one point? So they're better, but more combustible. Awesome. Hey, Dan, before we get out of here, please tell the people where they can find everything that you do. Yeah, they can find all my nonsense uh, at Bleach Report that I'm writing about. And I'm on Twitter at Dan Favale, F-A-V-A-L-E. And please, if you want to hear ramblings about the entire NBA at large, and you just want to hear a truckload of incorrect takes, check out the Hardwood Knox podcast. Hardwood Knox is regularly in my rotation of podcasts. Absolutely love it. So, Dan, thank you again so much for joining us tonight. You guys go follow Dan on Twitter. Check out all of his stuff on Bleacher Report. And we will be back with you Friday night on Twitter with another Twitter Spaces. So make sure you follow. Sub to the YouTube channel. I would plug the the five-star rating for stickers, but we are all out of stickers. So we will order some more. Once we do, we'll let you guys know. We'll mail some more out for five-star ratings on the show. Until then, you guys have a great rest of your week. Thunder up. For the ones who work hard to ensure their crew can always go the extra mile. And the ones who get in early so everyone can go home on time. There's Granger, Offering professional-grade supplies backed by product experts so you can quickly and easily find what you need. Plus, you can count on access to a committed team ready to go the extra mile for you. Call, click Grainger.com, or just stop by. Granger, For the ones who get it done.